know, speaking of like adolescents and the older kids and how they begin to think that they know, you know, everything. Everything. My sister came across an old friend, like ran into an old friend. They were catching up. And this friend said that his son was going to college. That's what he said. He said, I don't know why he's going to college. He already knows everything. <laughs> right. <laughs>「I'm Janet Milan, host of the Normally Amazing Show. I like to think I'm like a church bell ringing out, calling the men and women of central Pennsylvania and beyond into the abundant, spirit-filled life. I'm normal. God is amazing. Let's dive in. You may or may not know that my big dream I'm praying for now, my bigger than me thing I'm praying for now, and I hope you all have something bigger than you that you're praying for. But my, my bigger than me thing I'm praying for is I'm asking God that for every woman in Center County who loves God to be set free in the abundance and freedom that God has for her. Just moving forward in the awareness of the abundance and freedom that God has for her. And you also may or may not know that there's a scripture that I've been praying over this whole big dream and it's out of Song of Solomon 2. Song of Solomon 2, 10 through 13. I'm going to read it to you. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. For behold, the winter is past. The rain is over and gone. The flowers appear in the earth. The time of singing has come. And the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree ripens its figs and the vines are in blossom. They give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. I want, my my heart is that um, the women of God will step out of being absorbed by kind of the minutiae of everyday life and the trials of just life, motherhood, wifedom, being being a human in the world, to, to stop just staring down at our feet at those things and to move forward in the abundance and freedom that God has promised, to move forward in mission and vision and purpose and to fulfill what God's um, put us on earth to do. And there are, there are some women who are currently, and men, who are currently in such an oppressive state of winter that spring seems impossible, that their circumstances of life are so heavy that they're feeling like they're suffocating or they feel paralyzed. I don't want, as I speak about these things, and I I can't control what you think or how you feel, but I can offer a point of clarity that when I'm saying that spring must come, that we can't just stare at the wounds in our life 24-7, we've got to eventually move into spring and move, like winter has to go at some point and spring must come. When I'm saying that, I'm not saying that we need to just shove everything under the rug or just get over it or move past it. And I remember during a season of crippling anxiety, like in the fetal position on the floor, crippling anxiety, someone who I loved and cared about told me I just needed to get over it. And that was a really dismissive, hurtful thing. Of course, to hear, I could have used you know, maybe silence would have been a better option than saying that. 
And that's not the kind of thing I'm talking about. Moving into spring doesn't have have to do with trying to pretend winter doesn't exist. There are times we just need to sit in winter and that's all we have the strength to do. <laughs> and I've been in seasons like that. Most likely, if you're listening to this, you've been in a season like that. And maybe some of you are in a season like that. And I have three friends specifically that come to mind. I have friends who've gone through lots of difficulty, but these three friends all experienced becoming a widow within, it was all within a 13 month span of time. Three friends, three young friends, or three young husbands who lost their husbands. And that is a season of winter as I'm watching all three of them go through this loss. The only way I know how to describe it is it's an oppressive season of winter. And I imagine each of them laying in their bed in the morning, staring up at the ceiling, maybe feeling like their head weighs a thousand pounds because they just, to get up and do another day sometimes is, feels impossible to them. And my friend Kim Michelle, who you're going to hear from in just a minute, is one of those women. She and I spent some time in Panama City, Florida. We went for about eight days because her birthday was July 15th. And last year, that was an incredibly hard, just terrible day for her. Her first birthday without her husband here on earth. And so we just said, let's just go. And we celebrated our birthdays together. But let's just go to the beach and try to make some good memories and laugh and have some fun. So we did that. We did have a great time. You know, it was laughter and tears, tears and laughter. And Kim talks about holding joy and pain, you know, in the kind of in the same hands, this holding them both at the same time, that it's, it's possible she kind of can dip into joy and dip into pain within, you know, seconds of each other, or even kind of at the same time. And that's, you know, that's a lot of how the, the week had moments like that. We're just, we're up and then we're down and we're crying and we're laughing. And that's the beauty of really good sisterhood and friendship, isn't it? That we can do that with each other, that we can just be up and down together and just walk through life together. One thing I admire about Kim and her husband passed away over a year ago. But one thing I admire about her is that she's asking God, you know, how can you use me? How can you use my story? Who can I help? You know, what, what is my purpose? And, and I want to walk in that. And she's starting to dream into that and think into that and act into that on different levels. And Kim is an incredible, has an incredible gift of counseling. She can help people figure out why things are the way they are and then direct them to change. Kim is a, an incredible, delightful, I guess the best word I can think of is she's like a cocktail of <laughs> um, intelligence and um, personality and joy and a great communication, great, great communicator, just this delightful blend of all of these things together in one. She's able to communicate things that are maybe really heady and kind of academic in 
a way that anybody can understand. And that's what she's going to do today. We, we, we actually recorded this while we were driving from Panama City back to Atlanta to, to where she lives. So we did do it in the car and we recorded it there. And I did go through and use like a noise reduction uh, feature in Audacity, which is the program I used to edit the podcast. So it's, it's pretty good, but I'm just letting you know that, you know, there's like some, sometimes it sounds like we're a little bit like, I don't know, there's like some noise in the background, but you can hear it just fine. So push on through that and you'll be fine. Kim, Kim's voice comes across loud and clear and you will, you will appreciate listening to it. I will ask that as you listen to this, maybe, maybe listen to the podcast, learn from it, and then take a moment to pray for Kim and her two kids, her two adult kids, as they keep working through the loss of Carrie, um, her husband. Just lift her up. Would you just take a minute and lift her up in prayer? So please, please uh, listen to this, this great interview with Kim. And, this, and rather than an interview, it's more of Kim doing a, a teaching about something that's really helped me in my parenting and just in my relationships in general. And I want you to hear it. Kim, here we are in the car, driving back from Panama City to Hotlanta, as they call it, your home. And you and I were talking the other day before we went down to Panama City about something and I want to talk to tell my listeners about it because I think it'll be really helpful because I think of a lot of moms who listen to me. So, but before we go into that, I want, can you tell people, because they're, we're going to tell them this whole thing about affect regulation and they're going to say, well, who's Kim to tell me what that is? <laughs> I know you don't want to like brag about yourself or whatever, right. but can you just tell people like why you know a thing or two about counseling and such? Okay. <laughs> What's your experience level there? Well, first, let me just say I'm a fellow sojourner, so I really don't know anything more than anybody else but that being said I um, I'm a social worker and I've been a counselor for I don't know I'm not very good at numbers but I'm gonna say 20 25 years somewhere in that range long enough to have learned a thing or That's two amazing because you just turned 30 like right yesterday. yes 29 <laughs> <laughs> now let's talk about this thing you were talking to me about this thing called affect regulation dysregulation can you explain that in layman's terms so we understand what that what that is? Yes. And then tell us about the scale okay. you were telling me about because it was really, really helpful to me. Yes, I will try. I just want you to think about when you walk into a room, generally, you can know if it's a happy room or a sad, if there's a sad feeling in the room or if it feels intense in some way. Our bodies have something called affect regulation, where we can sense things with that are nonverbal. Like nobody has to tell you, oh, this is a happy room or this is a sad room. You can just feel it when you walk into a room or when you are having a conversation with somebody. There's all these nonverbal um, signals that steer the conversation as well as the verbal one. So it's, some people are more able to sense it and can 
sense the subtle changes in, in affect regulation, but generally everybody has a little bit of ability to do that. Okay, so if we are talking about parenting, so let's say that your child has some kind of bad behavior that you don't like. You might find yourself dysregulating, so off-center, right? Okay. So on a scale to 1 to 10, in the 1 to 3 range, that is when you might withdraw from your child, isolate, give them the silent treatment. That That's a, that's a form of dysregulation, okay? Okay. And then there's 4 to 7 range, which that's center. So that's you're feeling good, you're present, all cylinders are firing, everything is going well. That's your center. Okay. And then 7 to 10 is the emotional outburst, the rage, the anger response. And that's a dysregulation. Now some people think the 1 to 3 dysregulation is better, right? Because yeah. it's not as intense or violent or whatever, but it is just as unhealthy and unhelpful as the seven to ten. Absolutely. So yeah, because we were, we were talking about that, how even with kids, we'll judge another person's kids' behavior. Like if they're quiet and withdrawn, we almost see them as a better kid sometimes than the one that's kind of out there and loud. Which is not necessarily better. No, it's not it's better at all. It's, it's, it's dysregulated. Yeah, they're dysregulated, right? right? Yeah. And so are we as parents. If you're quiet, that doesn't mean that you're you're doing a better job than the than the mom who's yelling at their kid. You're both 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 ends of those spectrum are dysregulated. You're not in center. You're not doing your best job as a parent at that point. Right. And so what happens is generally is we expect our kids to get us regulated again, to get us back into that four to seven. And most of the time we do that by expecting them to do what we want, right? Whatever it is that we need them to do. And we think, okay, we'll just be better if they would just do what I say, right? But because they're human beings and they don't always do what we say. <laughs> um, what? I know, it's shocking. <laughs> Uh, we cannot rely on them. It's not fair for us to rely on them, we're the adults, to regulate us. We must learn how to regulate ourselves, right? Because once we get into that regulated state, then we can deal with their behavior, but we can do it from a healthier, more beneficial place than if we're coming from a dysregulated state. Now, the other thing I wanna say to you is, most of the time, our dysregulation is connected to something in our story, meaning our family of origin or growing up. So, like, anytime we have this extreme emotion on either end, it's often because it's connected to something from our past. Correct. Yes. All right. Can you? Right. What's your? What's your? You got a story behind that, don't you? I do have a story. So, um, when I was growing up, my dad was a big bowler. Yes, you heard me. Bowling. He loved bowling alley. Bowling alley. Yes, bowling. He bowled bowling. in three leagues a week. So in our house, because he put such a high priority on it, and as I look back, I realized his significance and value came from how 
good. He bowled. Um, we all bowled. There was four kids, and we bowled. And when we bowled, what I realized was that um, my dad would put the same priority and value on our bowling. So he was very intense when we bowled. And he was, if you did not bowl well, he would yell, he would smack his fist to his hand, he would turn his back on you. There was a lot of dysregulation from him when we were bowling. So my response to that was to get hard. I just hardened my heart. Um, the feelings underneath that were I felt insignificant and unloved. And so that's where the that's why I would harden my heart. Um, and it was kind of like, you can't hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. And I became rebe- rebellious and defiant and, um, and dysregulated when I felt that way. Okay, now fast forward many years. I have my own children. Um, my daughter is great in the world. She is one of those kids that every teacher loves in their class. She loved school. Other people's parents loved her. She's an adult now, though. She's an You're adult. She's yes, I'm, yes. I have I have two adult kids. One is 27 and one is 24. But when she was in our house, she could be very disrespectful. And what I saw myself doing was really those emotional outbursts and that rage and anger with her when she was disrespectful to me. And I kept saying to myself, what? Why do I keep doing this? I'm a counselor, for goodness sake. Why do I keep responding? And I started to really condemn myself and shame myself and couldn't figure out why did I keep ending up with these emotional outbursts with her when she was disrespectful. Well, it wasn't until I started to dig into my story that I realized that it was directly connected to how I felt um, with my dad. When she would be disrespectful, I would feel insignificant and unloved, and I would get completely dysregulated. I was straight up in that 7 to 10 range, and I really expected her to regulate me by changing her respect level. And then I would think, oh, well, if she just does that, then I'll be okay. When instead, as I learned from my story that that, was what was happening. I was able to tell myself the truth, right? I'm not insignificant. I'm not unloved. Jesus loves me to overflowing. Uh, My value and significance comes from him. And I don't have to respond in that dysregulated state because, because I don't have to protect myself. Like he's got me, I'm good. And I could literally, and even still now, because that insignificant and unloved can go across all lanes. I can regulate myself very, very quickly because I go, oh, one, I'm dysregulated. Two, I know what that's connected to. Three, what's the truth? And get myself back in the regulated state. So I was able to start, when she got into high school, I was able to start regulating myself and not responding to her from that place of dysregulation. And it really started to work out a whole lot better for both of us, for our relationship for our ability to communicate. I did not allow her to continue with that disrespect. That was not something that I wanted to allow in my home. So I'm not saying that, but I was able to deal from a healthier place once I regulated myself. You don't deal well with your children when you're angry. Right. Right. So that's just a dysregulated state. It really doesn't matter what your level of intensity is. I think 
I think a lot of women are feeling like avocados right now after listening to that. Do you, do you want to know what I mean by that? <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, we had guacamole the other day. We did. Yesterday. Yes. And you made it, fresh made guacamole, and we're like commenting about the avocados were perfect. You caught them at the perfect moment, which with an avocado is about five seconds long. Like, there's just this little window of time where they are regulated. Right. <laughs> and I think a lot of women that I've spoken to and have, as I had experienced, I don't anymore, but as I had experienced, was like that that window of regulation was like an avocado's ripeness. Yes. <laughs> like very brief and not the norm. Mm-hmm. But like you said, you've learned how to regulate yourself and I have too. Once you realize, wow, this emotion is not what should be happening right now and you notice it and you know where it comes from right I think that's key though if you don't know where it comes from it's going to keep popping up and you're going to keep having that what I call parenting fail right Mm -hmm. we 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 have parenting fails all the time I mean they're expected we're not perfect so we're going to have parenting fails but what I would say is when we have a parenting fail it's how we respond to that that's going to be important right so uh, the first thing is is when you have a parenting fail, making sure that your child or student or teenager or young adult even feels felt, hmm. feels felt. In order for that to happen, you have to talk through with them what happened, hmm. right? And where, where you went wrong in that making sure that sometimes you even put words to it if it's a smaller child because they have so much grace for us mm-hmm. that they sometimes can't imagine us doing anything wrong so when you say mommy made a mistake they're like oh it's fine right oh it's okay mommy that's the first thing they want to say right it's okay mommy mm-hmm. um, but it's actually not okay right so helping them sort of narrate what happened and helping them if they need help putting feelings to how that interaction made them feel when mommy was angry with them or mommy wouldn't talk to them. How did that feel and kind of helping them? Mm-hmm. You might've felt sad when mommy did that, or you might've felt scared when mommy was angry, yeah. which is beautiful to do that really early on mm-hmm. because then you're teaching them how to identify and manage their feelings, which is hugely important as they yeah. get older, right? That emotional intelligence is huge. So that's important. Helping them, feel felt through narration of the story and and saying you know I'm sorry for that now there's been parenting gurus in the past that say don't let them see you sweat you know but I don't agree with that at all in other words don't apologize you're the authority stay in authority but I believe you can still be in authority and accept responsibility for when it didn't go the way that it should have gone. Right. So, and then knowing your the context of your story and kind of digging around back there is going to be really important to moving forward because that's how you're going to identify what's driving the emotions that you're having. Right. And that's how you're going to be able to regulate yourself. Otherwise, you can't because you don't know what's driving that train. Right. It's getting to the root. Right? Getting to the root. I found that sometimes when the root of something is revealed in my life, just 
having it be revealed and being aware of it is enough for me to like make changes. Mm -hmm. But sometimes I need help, a counselor, a good, wise friend. Those are typically the two. Right. (laughs) You know, some intensive prayer times. Yes. Um, Just depends, you know. So some some people may have something they actually need someone to counsel them through. Correct. You know, that route might be more than they can handle. They need some help walking through it. I listen, and I, of course I'm biased, so, but <laughs> I really think that everybody needs to do some story work. And that story work always has to be done in community, right? I think it's important to write out your story. And then I think it's important to read your story out loud and have people speak into that story because you, there's things that are hidden from you that you can't see, but they can things that will jump out to somebody else in, in the community, like in a group. Yeah. Right. Setting. Yeah. Yeah. I have some friends whose kids have some chemical imbalances and some diagnoses that regulations, not even like they're just hanging on by the hair of their chinny chin chin Mm -hmm. kind of thing. And, but there are professionals who can help them you know, find that regulated space for their child and for themselves too. Special needs kids, that regulation thing is, uh, you know, it's, it's the same ball game, but it's a, a higher, I don't know, it's a different level of playing. Right. <laughs> well, and some kids, right, need help with, with emotional regulation right from the get. There is a specialized type of counseling. Like, let's say that you're, you as a parent or you're, child really really struggles with that in in impulse control emotional regulation there's a special type of counseling that if that's really a big struggle for you or your kid um, it's called dbt and it's called dialectical behavioral therapy and a counselor has to be certified in that it's, it's pretty practical but it's been proven to be very successful but it is a specialized um, type of counseling. When you're talking about helping your kids find their emotions, when we, uh, after we adopted Eve, so she was nine, and, you know, culturally speaking, and also just situationally speaking, circumstantially speaking, of her life in China, before we adopted her, emotions, the only emotion she knew was anger, like rage. Yeah. And, which isn't really an emotion, I guess, is it? I don't really know. It's not a base emotion, but it is an emotion. Right. Rage and, and total disconnect. Like those just, she went from one to seven to 10 or whatever, you know, back and forth. So just like part of the, part of getting her into that groove, I would ask her, like, I learned that asking her how she feels didn't work because she didn't even know the context of words. Right. And so then I would say, so I would say, even if I were you, mm-hmm. I would be feeling sad right now mm-hmm. because of this, this, and this. And then she would say, oh, I don't think I feel that way. And then I would say, if I were you, I might be feeling yes. confused. Mm-hmm. And then she'd be like, oh, yeah, that's that's the one I feel. So I would kind of say it as if I were her. Mm-hmm. First of all, let her know it's a safe thing to feel because I would feel that way too. Mm-hmm. And to start giving her words. And now it's great after six years she's learning how to say how she feels right and turns out (laughs) she's a crier like a weepy compassionate crier and she just 
didn't, you know, didn't ever, that didn't never flowed for her before. Right, yeah, you know? well, she didn't feel safe. She has this tremendous gift of compassion. So to see that released in her life is amazing because there's no shame yeah. around her tears and she doesn't have to be the strong girl who's gets bullied so she bullies back you know she doesn't have to be that girl anymore and she's like a mushy gushy heart is I what she that. is well and she's learning i mean that's so beautiful to learn how to identify your feelings and going through that process and i don't think we as parents do as great of a job as we could teaching that and then also then how do you manage those emotions yeah. right so just being able to identify them is not enough you have to teach your children and yourself you know because maybe you never got taught that by your parents i mean i know my generation you know the 29 year olds haha um <laughs> our parents really were not as a general rule were not teaching right. us <laughs> yeah any Emotional of that awareness. there was nothing like right, that right. right and so uh we you as an parent might not know how to identify and manage your own feelings so it might be tough for you to be able to do that with your children so i would say it's a trickle down so the more you learn how to do that yourself the easier and the more successful you're going to be at teaching your kids how to do that yeah just telling my kids oh you know i did this and i did that and i did this and i did that that's not helpful that doesn't Right. All that does is has the opportunity to, to glamorize it, which is the last thing that I would want to do, right? Mm -hmm. But when I say I felt unprotected in my family, or I felt unloved in my family, or whatever it was, mm -hmm. and that's why I chose, it was an escape right. for me from these other things right that this emotional business that I didn't know how to handle that I used drugs and alcohol as an escape for emotional business right I didn't mm -hmm. know that I didn't know how to handle it so see the difference Be, yeah I did this I did that mm -mm. yeah what's underneath that but you have to have gone through your story to know what was driving those choices and that is the I would say I would not share even if they are asking if you can't answer those questions. Right. I would say you're going to have to give me some time and I'll get back to you on that. Right. And that's good advice in and of itself to not, you may not know and you don't have to fill up that airspace right. with you figuring it out in front of your child. Right. You do not want to verbally <laughs> process through that Just right in front of Just listen for an hour right. while I figure this out. Exactly. Yeah. Second thing I would say is if, so the first was if they ask. The second is if they're struggling with something that you struggled with. That's a good place to put story. Right. Again, only if you've worked through it and you kind of know what's happening underneath. Yeah. Because that's what gives them, when you, when you, if, when somebody tells their story, like their testimony, for instance, right? You don't necessarily identify with their behaviors. What you can and do identify with is the feelings underneath and you can say oh gosh I felt that way before uh -huh. wow wow and I did this but they did that that's what brings revelation and healing and transformation from listening to other people's stories yeah Kim you have a wealth of wisdom and knowledge to share with the world I'm glad you use your gifts in the world and that 
not just staring at your feet, <laughs> trying to see how to how to impact the world for the Lord. Yes, and, um, it's inspiring. So we're grateful, grateful you're doing it. Go out there and save some lives. I appreciate you, Janet. Thanks for having me on. You're awesome. <laughs>